Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and it's exciting. This is the last Sunday of 2019. Yeah, so we just celebrated Christmas, uh, the time of Jesus being born, the King coming. Uh, and so the, the question I want to ask today is, you know, after Christmas, after celebrating what Jesus has done in Him coming, is that kind of the end of it? You know, what is God about on this earth? Is God about just saving people? So did Jesus come? He was, we celebrated this. He was born in a manger. Uh, he grew up, and then he died on the cross to save us from our sins. Uh, he rose from the dead three days later and ascended to heaven. Did he do all that so that you could be saved and that's it? Well, yeah, he did. He did, he did it so that you and I could be saved and make it to heaven. The problem is a lot of times we stop there. We think that God was all about just saving some people. When I was in college, uh, I had a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Uh, it was a pretty good job. But one of the guys that I worked with, uh, he was just living a, a horrible lifestyle. Uh, he was using women, doing, I mean, he was doing whatever he wanted to do. Um, and we'd get talking, and I'd tell him about Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah, my dad's a pastor, and I'll probably be a pastor someday, too. I believe all that. So, but what about, he said, but for right now, I just want to do what I want to do. You know, I'm going to do these things, and I'll repent later, and God will forgive me, and everything will be fine. Isn't there something a little bit off? And that was one of the, I had never really heard that before of, I believe, but I'm going to do whatever I want. And I thought, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But he was believing what really a lot of people believe, and that's that God is more concerned about just what's going on in your brain, that you believe some things rather than how you live your life. I would call this the gospel of salvation, that, that you are saved by believing some things about Jesus, some things about God, but that there's no, he doesn't need to be Lord, he doesn't need to be in charge, he just wants you, you know, like God needs you or something. And so he, Jesus did all this for you, and if you just say you believe, he's like, oh, shoo, then, then you get to go to heaven. And that's what it's about. Uh, when I was in high school, I remember one of the phrases that people would say is, you know, you can be a Christian, but don't take it too far. You know, and what we would say is, don't be a Jesus freak. And I remember at times even thinking that, you know, I believe in God, but I'm not going to go too far. It's not like I'm going to carry my Bible in public or, you know, tell anybody about Jesus. You know, don't be a Jesus freak. You know, and maybe you guys can relate to that. Maybe some of you, especially in school, I think you feel that, um, or, or in certain offices, certain places where you work, where if people know that you are a Jesus follower, they look at you different. And so you try and maybe, maybe hide that. You don't want to be a Jesus freak. This last semester in youth group, uh, we were studying a book, a, a series called Not a Fan. And I really liked the premise of it. The idea, the, the question that this, this author was asking was, are you a fan of Jesus? Or a follower of Jesus, you know? Do you do you come like come to church? Do you come and just watch religion happen? Do, do you sit in the stands and and watch God work at a distance and, and cheer him on? Yay, Jesus! Or are you a Jesus follower? And if you read the New Testament, uh, the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they show the life of Jesus. Jesus was very concerned about people following him. Salvation is based on belief. That's absolutely true. Yeah, how, how are you saved? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. But Jesus didn't walk around just saying, hey, believe in me. All right, good luck with that. Jesus' message was, follow me. If you remember, uh, there were the fishermen, uh, Peter and others, and they were out there on their boats, mending their nets, and Jesus walked by and said, hey, follow me. And what did they do? They, they dropped their nets, and they followed him. 
You know, and we read through the Gospels and the rest of Acts, and we see how that changed their life. Uh, Later, we see Jesus teaching, and a rich man comes to him and says, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? And he kind of gives him the, the, the Jewish religious answer. And he's like, I've done all that. What left? He said, now go sell all your stuff and follow me. But he was so rich, he couldn't give that stuff up at that point. He wouldn't follow. So what I want to look at today, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 6. But we're going to do things a little bit differently. Typically, what we do here at Common Ground is we'll take a passage, uh, we'll teach through it, we'll see what does it say, what does it mean, how does that apply. Today, we're, we're going to do that, but we're really going to then launch throughout the rest of Scripture to look at the gospel of the kingdom. Not just a gospel of salvation, that God just didn't want to save you, but that He actually has a bigger plan that if we understand, it will change our lives. And it's the gospel of the kingdom. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And again, we're going to zoom in here, and then we're going to zoom out and get a big picture of Scripture, of what God thinks about the kingdom. Now, here's what you need to know before we read this Lord's Prayer. This was the disciples. Uh, This might be better titled the Disciples' Prayer, uh, because the disciples, they came to Jesus, and they said, hey, teach us how to pray. You know, what, what they were asking is, when we go to pray to God, what does He want to hear from us? You know, this is a really good question, and Jesus gave them a good answer of, Here's the heart, not just the words. You know, the Lord's Prayer, maybe you grew up saying it like I did, um, which I'm glad I did because I got to memorize it. But sometimes it can become just religion, rote, just magic words. If you say these words, you know, good things will happen. But rather, Jesus is sharing them, here's what your heart should be like, which then comes out in the words that you say when you pray to God. Is that me? All right. Starting in Matthew 6. Verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you, you may have a translation that the second half of verse 13 says, For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Uh, That piece is not in some of the older manuscripts, and so that's why some of us, our Bible includes it, some of us doesn't. If it does, it has parentheses. Um, It's not a doctrinal issue, you know, it's not a big deal. But I do like the phrase, because he ends this prayer recognizing, For yours is the kingdom, for yours is the glory, and yours is the power. So again, we're looking... What is the heart? What is the heart of a Jesus follower as they go to pray? And here's the first thing we notice in this prayer. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. You know, as we think about the kingdom, you know, we may think of God as distant, as as out there, as, as above which he is. But the first thing Jesus tells us as his followers is that you can address God as Father. You know, I can approach God as Father because I am a son of the King. You know, you receive notes. If you're a note taker, this is one of your notes. Um, But it's blank, so you can just write it in if you want or just pay attention. If you're you're a female, you should probably put daughter in there. You're not a son. But but we are sons and daughters of the king. And so this, this kingdom is very personal, very intimate. Jesus came to become our loving head, our loving father. So we can approach him because of our relationship with him. That's very important. He says, uh... 
our Father in heaven, and then hallowed be your name. Now, we don't talk like that. We don't say hallowed, you know, unless you're watching an old movie and it's in like a, an old cathedral, hallowed halls or whatever. But, but that word, it's a good word. Hallowed, it's, it's a declaration of you are holy. You know, speaking of God the Father, hallowed be your name, meaning holy, sacred, set apart, bigger than anything is your name. And it's a statement of truth from the heart. So if you're praying this, it's you basically declaring to God, this is what I believe about you. You are bigger than everything. You are my king, basically. Hallowed be your name. But it's also an expression of desire. Hallowed be your name. Let your, your name be hallowed, not just here, but, but out. So it's, it's a request. Hallowed be your name that many others would come to know you. You know, I recognize that God's name, his reputation and character is sacred and set apart. And I ask to grow his fame and his reputation. You see how the priorities are a little bit different than in our uh, American dream lifestyle, where we're the center. You know, this, this vision of God's kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, puts God first, his fame, and what he has planned. You know, again, are, are you more concerned about your reputation, how you look, that you don't want to be a Jesus freak? You know, those of you in junior high or high school, you know, is there FCA at your school? Do you go to it or do you not? Because you don't want people to really know that you're associated with Jesus. But then the next question, your kingdom come, or the next statement, your will be done. So there it is. Your kingdom come. Yeah, our, our mission statement here at this church is we exist to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. And that's this request. Your kingdom come and your will be done. So... I'm kind of a picture person, and I love family services because it gives me an excuse to draw. And so let's think about a kingdom. Now, we don't have a lot of kingdoms in the world right now. In fact, there's really none that are like the kingdoms of old. Uh, technology, go through the list of why. But the kingdoms of old, that was really the way that a, a kingdom would be set up or a, a nation. Um, so kids, this is where we get to participate. What would you find in a kingdom? Now, think about some of these old movies that you've seen. What would be in a kingdom? A king. Well, that's good. Let's see here. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else would be in a kingdom? I'm not counting that. What else would be in a kingdom? A knight. The armor. Yeah, good. What else is in a kingdom? A castle. A castle. That's what I was actually looking for first. Because I know how to draw that. Okay, so, kind of. It's not a tree. Thank you. This, this is a castle. Okay. Okay, that's a castle. What else, what else is in a kingdom? No, hopefully not. Not in the kingdom. There might be. There's, there's people, oh, another kingdom. Hmm, that, interesting. So there's people not in the kingdom. Let's put those people over here. And these people are not happy. Okay, there, there's people over here, different kingdom. There's like a hill, and they're on the other side. There's a road that connects, though. <laughs> what else is in a kingdom? Back here. Anthony. Gold? Sure. Let's stack up some gold right here. 
Gold shines. Okay. Now, now in the kingdom, though, we, we heard it. There's a king. So let me put this throne, you know. That, that's in the kingdom. Okay. Kingdom. What else is in a kingdom? Horses? Definitely. Nay. <laughs> okay. A clown? Clouds, sure. Okay. Now let's see. Here's what else we would see in a kingdom. There would be typically a wall around the kingdom. Oh, we, we need a gate here. Okay. Here's another gate. Okay, there's a gate. And here's a wall around the kingdom. So in a kingdom, you would have this, this wall. You know, and you would have people that lived outside as well, you know, in the kingdom. Uh, but if they were attacked, they could come into this wall and they could be protected. The king was in here. Uh, people would live in here. You know, they, there'd be shops and places, and this is where they could come and, and do business. Now, who was in charge in the kingdom? The king. Absolutely. The, the king was in charge. And so, in a good king, you know, in a good kingdom, who lived for who? Uh, the citizens for the king or the king for the citizens? Citizens for the king? I would say both. In a, in a good kingdom, the king would live for his citizens and the citizens would live for the king. You know, I would argue this, the best government in the world would be a perfect kingdom with a perfect king. The problem is none of us are perfect. And so I think the government we have is probably the best possible. Not, Oh, Jesus is perfect. You're giving away the story. Yes, you're right. Jesus is perfect. And so here you have the picture of a kingdom. I think the closest we've got, uh, King David was one of the first good king, a man after God's own heart, and built the kingdom of Israel. You know, and in that kingdom, he then built a temple, or actually his son built a temple. But we get a picture of this kingdom. Now, as we look at this request in this prayer, thy kingdom come, that's the way I memorized it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's this picture of, of a kingdom, and we're asking the king that his will be done. Now, here's my question. Is this just my idea? Is this just Derek going, hey, you're straying away from what we always learned, uh, the gospel of salvation. God just wanted to save us, but now we can go do whatever we want. Um, and that's why somebody that prayed the prayer when they were a kid, doesn't matter the rest of their life, they get to go to heaven, they have their ticket. Does the Bible really teach the kingdom? In Mark 1.15, we see Jesus' first sermon. When he first started to teach, he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his first message. The kingdom of God is at hand. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most popular, famous sermons, repeatedly he would say, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would, give a, he would give a parable. He didn't say being saved is like. He said the kingdom of God is like. Acts 1-3. This is after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and he spent about 40 days appearing to his disciples. And it says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. 
So those 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, what was he talking mostly about? The kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about what it's like just to be saved and how you go do whatever you want and good thing Jesus died on the cross because we then get to... He talked about the kingdom of God. When Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, uh, Paul was saved by Jesus. Paul didn't actually meet Jesus in person uh, until after his death and resurrection and Jesus appeared to him. And Paul, when he was in Rome and when he was in prison and he was you know, near the end of his life, Acts 28, 30, and 31 says this, And he, this is Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The word kingdom appears 160 times in the New Testament. 160 times. So let's do another little drawing that will help. We're going to do a timeline this time. I'll try and stay out of the way. So, beginning of time, what do we have? Adam and Eve. Right? Adam and Eve, and, and hopefully you know the story. You've read Genesis. Adam and Eve were created by God. They were put in the garden to have a relationship with him. Uh, they were so close with God, God would come and walk with them in the garden and hang out with them. Uh, and so he was, he was the one in charge. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they rejected God as king. They, they basically said, we want to be in charge. We know what you say, but we're going to do our own thing. So they rejected God as king. Now, as time went on uh, later, God would call a man named Abram, and he changed his name to Abraham. Okay, so Abraham was called. He said, you follow me. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he made some promises to Abraham. Through you, we're going to bless the rest of the world. This was a reference already to Jesus, the coming king. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, maybe you remember them. Uh, and they set up this nation of Israel who moved to Egypt, uh, were enslaved. And while they were enslaved in Egypt, God sent somebody else, Moses. So you had this period in there uh, where the Israelites, the Jews, seemed to kind of stray away. They got wrapped up in what was happening in Egypt and God said, it's time for me to be king again. I'm going to set up this nation. He sent Moses, who brought them out of Egypt. So if you remember that, for 40 years then, this nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness, going from Egypt to the promised land. And during that time, do you remember what was with them? They had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And during the day, over the top of the Ark, there would be a cloud showing God's presence right there with his people. At night, there would be a fire above the Ark. Showing people at night, you could look right there, God is with you. Moses was the, the physical leader of, of the people, but he would go to this tent and he would meet with God. He would talk to God. God would tell him what to do. So God was really the, the king at that time. Um, so, you know, here's a flame, right? And here's a cloud, just kind of showing, you know, God as, as king. Now, Moses died. They moved into the promised land. And during that time, they had what was called uh, judges. They didn't have a king. So they had these judges, uh, and these judges would, would save the people. Basically, they would wander from God. They would get in trouble. Uh, God would send a judge to help them. Um, and in Judges 17.6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. It's a unique statement because what it was talking about was this, this nation that had no king, but the problem was God was supposed to be their king. 
They were supposed to recognize God as king and follow him, but they weren't. So this statement of there was no king in Israel doesn't just mean there was no human king. It, it meant God was, they were rejecting God as their king. Now the people then came to uh, uh, Samuel, who was the prophet at that time kind of leading. They came to Samuel and they said, hey, we want a king. You know, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king. And Samuel was frustrated because he said, God's supposed to be your king. You don't need another king. God's, let's follow him. And in 1 Samuel 8, 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. A very clear statement of God saying, I'm supposed to be their king, and they're rejecting me as king, and so I'm going to give them what they want. And so then you move. My handwriting is horrible. But you get the point. You move into the time of the kings. The first king was a bad king. The first king went away from God, disobeyed God. The next king is King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David established a kingdom with God at the center. Was he perfect? By no means. You know, he had a dream to set up a temple, to build a temple for God in their midst. Now, because he had been in war so much, and the Bible says he was a man of bloodshed, God said, you're not going to build the temple, but your son will. So Solomon came along, this time of the kings this year, and Solomon built a temple. We're going to call this a temple. I don't know if that's right, but okay, that's a temple. So Solomon builds this temple, and what you see is, is after the temple is built, and the priests come in and they consecrate, they pray, a cloud then filled the temple, showing God's presence with them. Just like when they were wandering around in the wilderness, God was present in the form of a cloud, the same type of thing happened later in this temple. How cool is that? Meaning, I am here. God's saying, I'm here. I'm with you. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, the time of the kings, there'd be good kings, there'd be bad kings, there'd be good kings, there'd be bad kings. There was more bad kings than there was good kings. But in uh, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 10, you see a point where God finally says, enough is enough. In Ezekiel 10, uh, Ezekiel has a vision of, of God leaving the temple of his presence leaving the temple. Basically, it was another time where they said, we're rejecting God as king. And God says, you've rejected me so much, I, I'm leaving. And his presence left the temple. And so that was during the time of the kings. So this is in your notes. Since the beginning of time, God has desired to rule all mankind as their loving king. You know, this time of the kings, that was the plan. Now, we look forward. Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled, Jesus said. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus. At a point in time, Jesus came. Jesus, the king, came physically to earth. Yeah, I'm just going to put right there, King Jesus. Maybe you remember the song, King Jesus is all. Jesus came. And he says, the, the, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. And it was used often to mean the good news of a coming king. A messenger would be sent ahead if a king was coming, and they would come, good news, the king is coming through your town. That's what this word gospel means. The gospel, the kingdom of God is here. The, uh, maybe you have a nativity scene uh, that you set up. Maybe it's still up. If you're like us, you, you're not allowed to take down your decorations yet. Um, but in the nativity scene, one of the things you'll see is the three wise men. You know who those were? They were magi. They, they weren't kings. Uh, they were probably from Persia. 
And if you study who the wise men were, this is actually pretty cool. It wasn't, it, most likely, it wasn't just three men, you know, with turbans on on camels coming in going, hey, where's this king? These were called kingmakers. They were high up in, in the Persian government. Uh, in Persia, to set up a king, the magi were involved setting up a new king. They were called kingmakers. And so these magi going from Persia into Jerusalem, into the Judean area where Jesus was born, finally making it up to Bethlehem, when they went there, the Romans controlled that area. They were enemies. They, they were, so, so these magi came in, these kingmakers, they probably came in with an entourage. They probably came in with soldiers with them. And they came, I, I mean, remember Jesus born and you see the shepherds there, the humble ones, you know, recognizing God. And here are these kingmakers from a different kingdom, not Jews, Gentiles, they come and they go, where is the king of the Jews? They went to the current king at that time, and they said, hey, we hear that there's a king of the Jews been born. He's like, what? <laughs> I'm king of the Jews. I said, no, the, the real king is here. They go, they recognize Jesus as king. They give him the gifts of, of uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's my point. The king came. And when Jesus started teaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. I am here. Now let's look back at this picture of a kingdom. If God has been about establishing his kingdom and the kingdom has come, how does a kingdom expand its territory? You know, somebody, somebody out there told us about these, uh, these guys over here. They're sad, right? Because they're not in the kingdom. They're over here. You know, how would the kingdom expand? Levi? They would fight to take it over. Interesting, yeah. They could fight to take it over. Now, here's the thing about the kingdom we're talking about. It's a little bit different. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Here's the thing that's unique about this kingdom, is that it is within Jesus' followers. It is within, it was in their midst. This is a spiritual kingdom. And so I'm going to write that here, spiritual kingdom. This is what exists right now here on earth. I mixed up colors, but you get it. Now here's the thing. Can you read this? Me neither. <laughs> this is where we're at right now. At this point, Jesus is coming back. Right now, we have a spiritual kingdom. When Jesus comes back, it'll be a physical kingdom. Read the book of Revelation. It's super exciting. Eternity isn't going to be us with harps and wings on clouds. Thank goodness. Eternity is going to be a new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be this earthly kingdom that exists right now collides with the eternal kingdom. It will move from physical to spiritual, meaning you and me will get new bodies. Any, any Christian that has died throughout all of history, they will come back alive with new bodies. If we are lucky enough to, to not die and be here when Jesus returns, we immediately will get new bodies. This earth, the Bible says, is going to be cleansed by fire. It's going to be burned up because we, we messed it up with sin. And he's going to remake it. It's going to be different, but there's going to be similarities. And the new kingdom will be physical. But right now, the kingdom is spiritual. 
But we already asked, how do we expand the kingdom? Colossians 1.13. I love this verse. I quote it a lot. You should have it memorized. It says, he, referring to Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Look at that. So Levi, you nailed it. Here's what happens. These gates open. I'm not going to draw it. It'll take too long. This horse, here's a horse, and a bunch of other riders and knights. Somebody talked about knights, you know. They come on a rescue mission over here, rescue these, and bring them back into the kingdom. That's kind of the picture. Who does the rescuing? Well, Jesus. Jesus rescues us from the domain of darkness and brings us back into the kingdom of his beloved son. Meaning, Jesus doesn't just come say, hey, please believe in me. Please, I want you to get to go to heaven. He comes and says, I want you to enter my kingdom, and I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to shed my blood to bring you into relationship with me. He will expand these walls. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The kingdom is wherever God is at work, and citizens, people recognize and submit to the king's authority. So what's the difference between this gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation? A gospel of just salvation is about me. And we love that in our society. It's about me. I'm the authority. I get to control. Meaning, you know, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian, whatever. I get to go to heaven. Maybe you've heard this. I know the Bible says, but who's the authority? When you read the Bible and it says, here's the way I want you to live, and you go, yeah, but. You're saying, yeah, but I want to be in control. I want to be the authority. And here's the cool thing about God's kingdom. It's actually best for us, too. Our king is perfect. And so the things listed in Scripture are best for us. The commands that he's given are best for us. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that the king has come, and complete submission to his authority brings life, peace, joy, righteousness, and the hope for eternity. And here's the cool thing about this idea of kingdom. You know, if, you, if you've been part of the church very long, sometimes we as churches, and we're no different, you know, we're, we get very inward focused, that it becomes about my church. You know, it, our church is the best, and we have a corner on the truth. The kingdom, you know, if I hadn't drawn on this whole thing, <laughs> I, w- I would draw a picture of basically the whole world and churches all over one kingdom. One kingdom. It's not like this church is better than this church. Churches are different, and that's great. Here in our community, we have a handful of great churches, and we're all part of the kingdom, and we celebrate their success, and they celebrate our success because we're one family, we're one kingdom, and that's what we're to be about, His will. You know, I wanted to read to you uh, a poem from a great American poet. It says, people say I'm strange. Does it make me a stranger? That my best friend was born in a manger? People say I'm strange. Does it make me a stranger? That my best friend was born in a manger. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguise in the truth. DC Talk, 1995. (laughs) Right? But that's a great song. Go look up that song. I don't care if they label me a Jesus freak. I mean, are we Jesus freaks? Are we sold out to Jesus? I hope that we are. Now, how do we finish this up? You know, I end with the question, who's your king? Is Jesus your king? Is he? 
are you a follower of Jesus or are you just, you just want to go to heaven and so you'll say the, you'll believe these things, maybe do some religious stuff or is he really the one in authority? He has a great life planned for you but, but when we're on the fence of who's in charge, we're not going to experience what he has for us. Now, if you're asking how do we put teeth to this, you got to come back. In two weeks, we're starting a new series, an all-in series. What does it look like to be all-in with Jesus? What does a, a, a life look like when they say, I'm sold out to you, Jesus, as king? But today, here's our application. It begins with a commitment, a commitment that he will be the authority, I, our loving king. Look what he's done for us. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. So today, our only application is just this one commitment. Is he your king? Is he your complete authority? Or are there pieces of your life where you go, I believe in Jesus, but. I know the Bible says, but. You know, we're going to move into our, our time of response, our time of worship. Um, and I want you to think about it. While we sing, what is, what is an area maybe of your life where you're still holding on to. We're like, you know what? I'm going to keep this one. This is mine. I'm not going to submit to Jesus in this. Today would be the day to submit. We're going to have people available to pray with you in the back. We have our prayer wall up here. Come write a prayer. Put it in the wall. Maybe today is the day when you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Today, you hear this and you're like, I want him to be. I see God's plan has always been to be king because he loves us. Maybe today is the day when you surrender for the first time. Go back there, grab one of our prayer people. They're going to have big badges on. Have them pray with you. Say, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus as Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are our king. Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue us from the domain of darkness and deliver us into your kingdom. God, we love you. We ask that, uh, that you would reveal to us if there is areas of our life where we are not submitted to you as Lord. God, show us that we don't want to just be religious people. <laughs> we don't want to just be spiritual. God, we want to follow you. We want you to have complete control of our lives because we know that's best for us. What are those areas that we're holding on to? Holy Spirit, we need you. We don't need to go try harder. We need you. We need to fall deeper in love with you and surrender to you as Lord. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.